Let's pray. God, this morning we just come to you to, uh, first of all, to seek your heart and to know, God, what it is that you would want to tell us. But also here, God, we're here to God to, to praise you and to worship you. And in doing so, God, what we do is uh, we come with uh, open minds, our hearts open to you as well, God. And not only asking that you would give us information, that you would transform us into the persons you would want us to be. Is that we have accepted you, God, those who have called you Lord and Savior. Uh, we realize it's a growth process. And we pray, God, that you would just continue to grow us up and change us to be the persons you would want us to be. We thank you, God, this morning we can come together in this place, in a free country, and can celebrate together what you're doing in our lives. Guide us this morning as we look at your word and explore it once again. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Appreciate Ian and his crew being here this morning. Uh, Ian, I'm trying to figure out what your voice sounds like. He's like, oh, Mo. Okay, that's all right. Uh, iPads are incredible. They'll bounce on everything, I hope. Here we go. Okay. Uh, I think, Ian, you're cross between Dan Fogarty and, uh, and Mac Powell. I'm not really sure. So they're both favorites of mine, so that's great. That's not a bad thing to be, isn't it? Okay. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. After being gone for a couple of weeks, uh, my wife and I traveled to the East Coast to visit family. Uh, a lot of people ask us, how was our vacation? I'll just tell you this way. We were with family for 11 days. And uh, if you want to call it vacation, go right ahead. Uh, it was good. Um, we celebrated two birthdays, uh, my dad and Vicky's dad, uh, two Saturdays ago. Uh, we celebrated Vicky's dad's 80th birthday. And I had some family and friends in in Richmond, Virginia. And then we went to Roanoke, Virginia. And last Saturday, we celebrated my dad's 80th birthday. So, uh, so we had a good time. I got to see a lot of relatives and folks I hadn't seen in a long, long time that usually you only see in funerals and weddings. And that's always kind of sad, isn't it? That's the only time you see folks like that. So it was good. It's good. I'm glad to be back, though, and uh, teaching again today. After being at a couple of other churches two weeks ago, I went to First Baptist Church of Ashland, Virginia. And last week... I went to North Roanoke Baptist Church, which was a church that I used to serve in a long time ago. I was a youth pastor there 23 years ago, and that was fun seeing my students who've grown up. You think about that. They were students when I was there 23 years ago. They're in their early 40s now, and they got kids of their own. It's, it's amazing how they grow up. I thought they'd be the same, but they weren't, so it's kind of strange. Anyway, this morning we started a whole new series called What is a Christian? And this morning I want us to do a little word association and definition game. Because some words are easy to define and others aren't. Okay, if, if, uh, you were to, if I were to give you these words, tell, don't, don't do it out loud, just do it in your head. Uh, what's the, this word? What's an American? What's an American? You can define that. We have the Olympics going on right now. Okay, what's a Canadian? You know what a Canadian. What's a Haitian? Got some Haitian friends here this morning. Uh, what about uh, a comedian? You know what a comedian is? You can define that pretty easy, right? I doubt if we got you in groups and said, define these words, you'd have a lot of problems with that. But if I ask you this word, what is a Christian? If I put the word Christian, how would you define the word Christian? That word has all kind of baggage attached to it. It has all kind of fuzziness attached to it. Because based upon where you're from and the, and the way you grew up, your background, you would define the word Christian in different ways. Uh, you may, depending on how you were raised, you would say, well, a Christian is someone who went through confirmation. Or a Christian is someone who was baptized as an infant. Or a Christian was someone who went through baptism as an adult. Or a Christian is someone who... And you go through all kinds of things. And, and if somebody on the street would ask you the question, you know, uh, are you a Christian? You might answer this way. You'd say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but... 
I'm not one of those type of Christians. Because there's all kind of stuff out there that sometimes we uh, question. You know, some of you say, well, yeah, I was a Christian because you grew up in a certain culture. And others, well, you say, no, there's no such thing as a wise Christian because uh, you come up in a, uh, in a belief system that says always saved, always saved. Yeah, you know, you're always saved. Once saved, always saved. I forgot the first part, by the way. And the thing is, the thing is, is that we have these different backgrounds. And, you know, some of you just, like I said, you have these different things going on in your life. But if you're, and some of you, some of you grew up in a, in a tradition that you thought, you know, you were the true brand of Christian. And we have many people in the, in, in, in the church here at Great Oaks who grew up in the Catholic tradition. And the Catholic church considered themselves the true brand. We are the church. But many of us who are Protestants or evangelicals would say, no, you're not the church. You're, you're the, you're part of the church. And, uh, and you know, and, and, and I grew up in a, a tradition that, uh, uh, we knew we were the true brand. Uh, I was Baptist. You know how we knew we were the true brand? We had Sunday night services. All those liberal Methodists and Episcopalians and Presbyterians and all those people, man, their doors were dark on Sunday night, but we were the true brand. I'm just kidding, not really. But the issue is, is, is that we have all these different we would have all these different definitions of the word Christian. And some of you, if you're really honest, you may have come here this morning, and I'm always glad to have people like this at Great Oaks because it means that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. People, you come in here because people have, have invited you here, but you really don't like the whole Christian thing. You say, I'll come and check you out because you said, oh, this church is a little different than a lot of churches. We do funky music. The preacher doesn't wear a tie. Uh, you know, people sitting in chairs. We're kind of like in this, uh, what we call this, we call it the big room. It's not a worship center. You know, we don't have a lot of those things. And for, for many people who are outside the church, the reason that they don't like Christians is because they have this definition. Fill up the next slide. They have this definition in their mind of Christians. Christians are judgmental, homophobic, moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Can I have an amen on that? Now, I mean, some people, don't you, aren't we, if we're honest with ourselves, don't many people in our culture think of Christians that way? They do. If you haven't encountered them, you're not living. Because I have encountered those folks who think that all Christians are just exactly that. They're judgmental, they're homophobic, they're moralist, who think that everyone else is, you know, going to the bad place. Anyway, but the issue is, and the good news is, is this. If you uh, thought of any of those things in trying to define Christian, I will tell you that the Bible says nothing about any of those things. doesn't define the word Christian in any of those ways. And, the good, and the, that was the good, good news. The bad news is the term Christian only appears in the Bible three times. Just three times, and it's never what the believers and the followers of Jesus call themselves. Ever. All three times it was used as a term by outsiders calling that group Christians. Kind of like they're geeks. Or I can think of some bad things we could call it, but I wouldn't want to use those this morning. But there was a term as a derogatory term that was used many times in Christians. Christians, believers, followers of Christ in the early church never called themselves Christians. And that's why it's such a term that's hard to define because we have many people in our culture and in our world that will say, I'm a Christian because I believe this. I believe God. And that makes me a Christian. Or I went through this ritual. This makes me a Christian. But the Bible never defines it that way because it's really never a term used in the Bible. And you're going, some of you are going like, I can't believe he said that. And you would go home and take your Bible and whip it out and go, Whew. 
And, uh, and, when you, and when you look at it, you're going to go, I'm going to prove him wrong. Go ahead. Do it. Challenge him. Because you can't. Because in Scripture, it never talks. Christians are followers of God, followers of Christ, are never called Christians by themselves. Uh, and the term only appears three times. And it was used as a derogatory term. It was never used by the Jesus community to describe themselves. Now, in Acts 11, one of the time, we just finished covering the whole book of Acts. We just studied the whole book of Acts for like six months in the life of our church. I just finished it up like uh, three weeks ago. And back in Acts 11, I'm sure you remember this from all of our studies, uh, the first time the word uh, Christian was used, it says, this in, it says this in Acts 11.25. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. It was uh, one of the places he was going. It says, So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And then this is, what, this is the important part. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples were called Christians First and out. They didn't call themselves that. They, called, they were called by others that. And you'll see that in the other two places in Scripture. You'll see other people call the followers of Jesus Christ. They, don't call, them, they call them Christians. The Christians don't call themselves that. So it's kind of hard to, conf, to define sometimes. And the, and the issue we also knew from history... Uh, that this term was put upon Christians, and it was a negative term. Because uh, those of you who have studied history, world history, you know one of the things, there was this guy named Nero. Nero. Remember who Nero was? What was he famous for? His most famous thing was what? Burning down Rome. You know, the guy was a nutcase. You know, he, he uh, basically decided he was going to burn down the Rome, and there was all kinds of reasons behind it. But after he did it, he thought, oh, that wasn't a good idea. Who do I blame for it? Because all of my friends and their houses are burned down now, so who do I blame for it? So we learned from a guy named Cornelius Tacitus, who was a, who was a historian, a well-known historian. He says this. This is a quote from him. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero, uh, the report was that Nero had burned down the city of Rome. To get rid of this, the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. See, the word Christian was something that was pinned on the followers of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't even a good, good term. You know, it's like it was, it was a derogatory term that we see even from history. And then we see there, going back to that verse, the end of that verse we just read in Acts eleven twenty six, it says this, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, but what were they really called? What did they call themselves? Disciples. Disciples. This will be a consistent word as we define what it means to be a Christian. We're going to have a difficult time if you try to find the word Christian and define that term in Scripture. But we will have no problem, I will guarantee you, over the next several weeks defining what it means to be a follower of Christ by using the word disciple. For some reason in our culture, the word Christian has gathered all this baggage. And what's happened is because of that, we, and we sometimes separate it from the word disciple. Like, I can be a Christian and not be a disciple. That's not biblical. It's literally impossible because a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. See, the, the word disciple was clearly defined. It's, disciple means this. It means a learner, a pupil, an apprentice, an adherent, a follower. It means all those things in multiple languages. A disciple is someone who does this. They say, I'm trying to make a decision. And they look at the person they're following and they say, how would you handle that decision? That's the way I will handle that decision. They, a disciple is one who says, I'm trying to respond to a situation. How would you respond? Looking at their mentor. How would you respond? I'll do that. What would you do if you were me? Well, you tell me, I'll do it. 
A disciple is someone, a disciple of Christ is someone who is looking to Christ for direction for their life and the response even before the answer is given or the question is given is yes. 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 Now what is the question? Tell me. Uh, tell me what you think, Jesus, and I'll do it. Now that's a lot different than the word Christian, right? That kind of vague thing that we have out there that you could be Christian and do all these different things. and have, it's, 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 it's really very straightforward. And it's a word that's used consistently dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament. Uh, some examples from just our recent study of Acts. In Acts 6-7, it says, So the word, uh, word of God spread. The number of what? Disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Acts 9-26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This is talking about Paul. Uh, who had been Saul and became Paul. And we, we read through this and we studied this. He, they didn't believe he was really one of them. And so he says they, he tried to join the disciples, but when they, they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple, a follower of Christ. Uh, 920, uh, Acts 9.36, and even, it's not just a male term, it's a, it's a term that was used for males and females. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, she was always doing good and helping the poor. So we see throughout the Bible, if we want to define what it means to be a follower of Christ, we have to look at the word disciple. Disciple. See, the point is this. We can hide behind the word Christian because it can be used in all kinds of different ways. But if you really want to know what it means to be a follower of Christ, you have to look at what scriptures say in talking about what it means to be a disciple. And so the question for all of us is this, are we disciples? Are we disciples? Not are you Christian, are you disciple? And we're going to be answering that question and, and, and giving you some very specifics because this is a journey that we're on. When you follow Christ and when you say yes to Jesus Christ, it begins a journey, a process that we go through. But this morning what I want to do in, in the few minutes that I have here, what I want to do is I want to nail down some very basic foundational things that Jesus said about what it means to be a disciple. Then we're going to flesh those out over the next uh, five or six weeks. Um, Jesus, one time, when he was getting ready to uh, leave this earth and he was meeting with his apostles, the twelve, the big twelve guys. Not, they were disciples, but they were also apostles. Disciples is a word for everybody who's a follower of Christ. He was meeting with them, and, he, and he, they asked him, okay, tell us, give us some marching orders. And in John 13, he says this. He looks at his disciples, and he says, a new command I give you. A new command. And so their ears perk up. Here's something new that Jesus is going to tell us, because we like new, right? New and improved. We like that. And so they perked up, and then he says this to them. Love one another. And they're probably looking, they're probably looking kind of puzzled. And they're going like, love one another. Jesus, you've been talking about this the whole time you've been with us. What's the big deal? But then he kind of gives them a, like a little more explanation. He says, as I have loved you, love, you must, so you must love one another. Not just any old love, not a fuzzy, warm feeling type of love. I'm talking about unconditional love. The kind of love that God has for us. That's the way you've got to love one another. And then he defines it this way. And then he says, by this, everyone, believers and non-believers, will know that you are my what? Disciples. Disciples. If you love one another. 
Now hold on to that thought a minute. We're going to come back to that in just a minute and flesh it out a little bit more. But the, the thing is, later or at another time, Jesus was, was, was meeting with some people and they were teaching. And one of them came to him and said, Teacher, tell us what's the most important commandment of all. Because they had a bunch of laws. They had over 600 commands that you can read in the Old Testament. Over 600 of them. And they're going like, and, and they really weren't trying to find information. They were trying to trip him up. But, he, but Jesus knew the answer. And without, you know, batting the eye, he says this. Out of Matthew 22, he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And they started to go, and, and Jesus, without missing a beat, said, and the second one, they only asked for one, but he said, you can't do one without doing the other. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, he tells the disciples, if you want to be a follower of me, if you want to know what a disciple is, it's someone who loves one another just as I have loved you, that loves people in that way. And then he gives the greatest command, love God, love people. And then he concludes this little, this little teaching in Matthew 22 by saying this. And this is something we kind of like tag on the end, but we don't think about what it means. But this is hugely important. The last line, he says, after loving God, loving people, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know what he's saying? He's saying the filter through which everything else goes, all those 600 things, every time you have a thou shalt and thou shalt not, everything we do has to be, in a sense, it hangs on these two commandments of loving God and loving people. He's saying everything has to be filtered through this, through the filter of love. Unconditional love. And so the question, the big question we're going to ask ourselves in the next several weeks as we study God's Word and look at what it says to be answer this question about what is a Christian, which really is a question about what is a disciple, is going to be this question. That being true, that God says, love God, love people, love one another, love is the filter, the question is this, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? That's a question that each one of us has to ask ourselves constantly in everything we do. You see, the inclination that we have is to look at the commands and forget the intent of the commander. And in doing so, what we do is we forget you know, the, the thing. We, we focus on the commands, but not the intent. The intent is to love. When he tells us to do something, it's because he, it's the most loving thing to do. And, and the brilliance of this statement, you know, Jesus could have told them all kind of things. By this, you, will, you know, people will know you might as a disciple because you're, you really know a lot of stuff. Or because you do this or you do that, but he said it's about love. And the reason is because in our own experience in life, in our own experience in life, we can see the brilliance of this because I will tell you, and, you can, and I guarantee this is true, there's been two categories of people that have influenced you profoundly. Just two categories. Every one of us have two categories of people in our life that have influenced us profoundly. They have profoundly influenced the kind of father you are, the kind of husband you are, the kind of wife you are, the kind of worker you are, the kind of boss you are, the kind of employee you are. And other people have set you up because of the way they influenced you. They've set you up for struggles in life. And it's not because of what they believe. It's about how they treated you. And those two groups of people are this. Those who've hurt you and those who loved you. Those who hurt you 
and those who loved you. There is lots and lots of people out there who have good theology that have hurt lots of people. They've been in the news recently. You know, I, I don't have to mention, I'm not saying anything out of order, Catholic priests and pastors who have maybe had great theology, they understood the Bible, they understood stuff, but the way they treated people, the way they abused people, and you don't have to be that. There's lots of people who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and maybe have good theology. They may sit in church every week, but how they treat people, it just doesn't match up. And those people have hurt people profoundly. So you've had people in your life have hurt you. And they've influenced you profoundly. And then there's been those people who have loved you. And I, I know lots of people, I can think about people in my life that maybe didn't have the greatest theology. I mean, they might, they had an understanding of God, but the thing is, is that that wasn't the main thing. The main thing was that they loved me deeply. And because they've given me confidence in life and, and they've given me encouragement in life and, and because of that, some of you are succeeding today because you have that people in your life who have loved you. It may be a parent. It may be a teacher. It may be, uh, I don't know, a coach. But somebody who loved you deeply. And why that's so important is because of this. The way you've been treated, the way you've been treated has more to do with who you are than what you believe. I'm not saying belief doesn't matter. It does. But the way you've been treated has more to do with who you are than what you believe. That is why what Jesus said when he says, people, hey, hey guys, if they want to know what a disciple looks like, it's someone who loves one another. That's how people will identify you. And when he gave his marching orders, the greatest thing, the most important thing you can do is love God and love people. That's the filter. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the great love chapter of Scripture, toward the end it says, you know, we can have everything else in the world, but, you know, if you don't have love, what are you? A noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Scripture doesn't, it always fits together. And so when Jesus said that, it, it was so incredibly important because for, for many, many years, I've seen this subtle shift in our culture, in our church culture, the shift from behave to believe. The early church didn't have all of this. You know that? The early church, these guys in Acts we studied, they might have had a little bit of a, of a letter from Paul. They might have had a little bit of the Old Testament. They might have had a little bit of this and that. But they didn't really have all this, all this teaching that we have. It was mostly oral passed down in different ways. What they had was a command from Jesus Christ. Love one another. And that's what they practiced. And we saw the results of that as we studied the book of Acts. And it was about their behavior, how it influenced their life. They loved people and people were influenced in incredible ways. Because Jesus didn't tell them a new command I give you, believe correctly. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you believe correctly. Because he knew that belief, while it was important, wasn't the bottom line. Because he knows what really influences people is how much they're loved. So as we go through the next several weeks, what we're going to do is flesh out this question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? Because so often in life, people are confused by Christians or people who call themselves Christians. There's a guy like, like the guy years ago, uh, when I was in Virginia for many years, I've been here 10 years now, but when I was in Virginia for a few years, the last few years I was there, I went to this uh, health club and I worked out. And uh, it was interesting, there was this one guy there 
and, and uh, this one guy there, and he would come to the health club. He was there every time the doors opened. I mean, he was there every day. He was a reti- recent retiree. He was an early retiree in his early 60s. And he would come to the health club every day. And, and I would show up, you know, three days a week, and he'd be there, and he'd be there when I got there, when I left. But let me tell you something. After three years of being there, he looked exactly the same as he was when he, he was still overweight. After three years. And I'm going like, okay, what's the deal here? And then I started looking and watching him. <laughs> now, he wasn't like a lot of people who buy health club memberships and don't even go. That's obvious that's not going to work, okay? But he went. But all he'd do is he'd go over and he'd talk to this person. And he would talk to this. He never worked out. He went to a health club and never worked out. He never did the things that would help him to be healthy and to grow. And, to, and he never listened. I mean, he had a guy that would actually... I remember him having actually a personal trainer there one time talking to him. And he gave him good advice. He never listened to the advice. He never applied the advice to his life. He looked exactly the same. And so often, folks, people will have people... And they're going like, well, you know, they go to church. They go to Great Oaks. And they sit every Sunday at Great Oaks. And they look, out, they look the same as they did 10 years ago. Something wrong with that. Because the, the, the fact is this, growing people change. People that are growing in love for Christ, that are disciples of Christ, they change. It's a process. See, because people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot stay the same. God changes them to become like Christ. I mean, we saw that in the book of Acts. We looked at people like Peter and Paul and all these people in Acts who started in one location and they did not stay the same. It affected every area of their life, every area of relationships, everything they did. Throughout Scripture, we see Christians, believers, disciples growing. We grow in love. And because of that, what Jesus says is the most important thing because he says, love one another, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you grow in love, it changes you and it changes people around you and people take notice and they're influenced you know I don't know about you guys but I love that study we did of Acts recently because as I looked at that I noticed something the people in the book of Acts the early church when outsiders looked at them they felt guilty but they didn't feel condemned They felt guilty because they looked at the marriages and the relationships that these disciples had, these Christians. And they understood, hey, that's not the same kind of relationships that I have. They looked at at their work ethic, and it was different. And they saw an incredible generosity from those folks. And the pagans of the first century felt guilty because they they knew that the disciples lived a better quality of life, a a better life than they did, but they strangely did not feel condemned because these people loved one another as Christ loved them. And it affected their whole life. And if that ever characterizes my life and your life, and characterizes the local church again, and characterizes the church in America, and church in Haiti. There will be influence like we never imagined.
And we will be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. But the moment that we abandon the main thing, which is love, that is when we lose our influence. It's not about power. It's not about, I mean, you know, folks, I can tell you that I have been in the church for 30 plus years as a, as a pastor. And you cannot preach people into the, you know, can't preach them into being morally right. You can't legislate morality. You can't change people that way. But what influences people more than anything else is when people see people loving one another the way that God loves us. And when they see that, it is so attractive that it's almost irresistible. So maybe, so just maybe, we will be the beginning of the generation that somehow is never satisfied until we ask the question in every situation, what does love require of me? And maybe it will be said of us like it was the first generation of Christians. By this, everyone will know that we are his disciples because we love one another. Let's pray. God, we, um, we turn to you right now and ask... This question, are we Christians? Kind of fuzzy, not really sure what, what, what our focus is. Or can we call ourselves disciples? A disciple is one who looks at Jesus and says, okay, God, in your word, it says this. And my answer to that is yes. Now, I may not do it perfectly, but that's the direction of my life because I trust you, God, more than anything else. I believe in you more than anything else. And while beliefs are hugely important in our life to understand what your word says, belief without action just doesn't work. And God, the bottom line of everything else you've told us clearly in Scripture, and it's these, just, these two verses today are clear enough without all the rest of Scripture to support it, is that the bottom line, the filter of everything else is asking the question, what does love require of me in every situation? And when we begin to ask that question of ourselves, God, we know that it will change our priorities, it'll change our schedule, it'll change the way we use our resources, the way we live our life. Because love requires a different priority system. God, as I think about the Basque students from Spain who just left this yesterday to fly back home, They've been with us here, 16, 17 students have been here for almost a month. And in thinking about them, God, I realize that the greatest influence that we have had will be the families that they have lived with for a month and how they express love to them, unconditional love for kids they didn't even know. And in doing so, God, hopefully they will begin to ask the question and it will be irresistible, that love, and they'll begin to ask the question, you know, why do, they do, why do they love like that? That's what people asked the early Christians. That was their main influence in life. Thank you, God, 
that you've showed, so clearly showed us in Scripture that a disciple is one who loves and filters everything else through that. Now, God, over the next several weeks, as we look at your word once again, we pray that you would help us to flesh out some of the things that happens when we use this, this question, what does love require, in several areas of our life and, and look at it in such a way that hopefully it will help us to live life in a way that would honor and please you. And God will help us to live life the way that you intended life to be lived. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And I thank you for those people who already are strong disciples of you who are asking that question every day in various ways. May all of us begin that quest, God, right now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you each week as we close our service before we sing our closing song, we do have a prayer room that goes through those doors over there on, on that side of the room. And uh, there'll be some folks there after the service. If you'd like to talk with someone, have someone pray with you about a next step. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you don't want to know what that is, what's all about, you can, someone will talk to you about that. There may be something, some struggle in your life that you're dealing with and you need somebody to pray with you. They'll be there for that as well. Whatever your need may be, uh, head over there right, after the, uh, right as, during the song or right after the song and there'll be people over there as well. We're glad that you're here. I know I did not fill in the blanks on the last uh, five. If those of you who take, take notes, I didn't fill in the blanks. I did it this service. Last service, I forgot. This service, I did it intentionally. If you want to fill in the blanks, come the next five weeks, and I'll fill in the blanks for you. Thanks. Great to be with you today. <laughs>